You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am thrilled to be with you. We are back, and I'm here with my buddy all the way from Baltimore, Maryland, Jeffrey Simpson. Hello. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, we got Delmar Pete. Hi. And uh, alone, enjoying five-star Michelin-graded uh, cuisine, Taco Bell, we have Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations. Gentlemen, I had the, uh, so many points in my Taco Bell app that I got a free uh, Doritos taco with my box today. So it's going to be an extra spicy show, I'm telling you. The Doritos tacos are pretty good. And our adjunct podcaster is not available today, Tim Miller. He, uh, Bro, you stole he, that. He's absent. <laughs> I did steal that. It's just I like laugh. that one, just like that one quote you put in your Instagram without putting the uh, author. So you look extra smart. <laughs> Which quote? Which I don't know. Quote? It's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I, you know what I, I thought? Oh, somebody's what? reading for seminary. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Dude, if you want to know who it's from, I'll tell you. But I, you just don't need to know at the moment. It's uh, <laughs> not, not how citations work. I, I read I 30 pages I this morning. On a, very true. I read 30 pages this morning of a book called From Topic to Thesis. And Ooh. I wanted to just pluck my eyes out. And I realized that it's important to have well-written papers. But no class should start with... Hey, everybody, let's open this class with a book about writing papers. It's pretty terrible. (laughs) You're in post, you know, you're in secondary level college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm reading this this guy by Carson and Mood, an introduction to New Testament. And uh, this uh, I'm I'm in these like the the class is like seven weeks, the whole semester, seven weeks. And so this first week I have to read 226 pages. Um. That's fun, uh, but uh, but yeah. Is it? Are we doing a segment? What we're reading right now? Because I think we're we're in now. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are we reading, guys? What are you, okay? I'm, besides, I, I'm reading that for school. I'm also reading a book called "Still Time to Care." It's a book about um, the, nice. the church caring for people who are LGBT. Um, and I'm about to start a book called "Side by Side." By Edward Welch. It's a book about walking with others in wisdom and love. It's a book about pastoring. I'm reading nice. that with my staff. I'm reading um, Pastor Paul by Scott McKnight. So far, mm-hmm. really good. Love it. Uh, I spent this last week, we were in Ruth chapter three. So I read a lot more commentaries than normal because of the uncovering the feet thing. So that was interesting. It was hey, sex. I, it I got sex. might have been. Jeff, I don't think you're in the Facebook group, but in the DYM group, they someone talked about Ruth. Oh no no no! So yeah, someone was talking about dating, and they brought up Ruth, and I said Ruth had premarital sex, and everyone was roasting me. Everyone was like, "You say that with you, you say that with more confidence than you should have." I oh I don't care. I'm just dropping grenades. <laughs> <next year. laughs> I just wanted to. I I I have no conviction on that. Even though uh, yeah, it really doesn't. I mean, I when I started preaching on Sunday, I was like, all right, everyone, listen, I'm here to deflate your balloon. <laughs> it's Ruth chapter three. 
I know there's debate about whether or not they. That's have what sex. Ruth said to Boaz as well. Hey, oh. it's really not the. <laughs> oh, you gotta no. cut that out. You gotta cut that out. Oh, Don't you dare! I will say it three more times <laughs> in oh this podcast. Gosh. Oh my goodness! I did not say I was Andrew Larson. Everyone. Uh, anyway, I said I'm. I know there's debate about what this innuendo might or might not mean, but that's not really the point, and that's not what I'm going to talk about. Does the Although average person on it. debate that, though? Like, my um, grandma has they, never been like, well, uncovering the feet in the biblical context. I think the average <laughs> <they do> now. <laughs> church person who has been who has been recently taught that passage, if the pastor brings it up, will remember the next time that they get there, like, oh, yeah, what is that whole thing about? And then there's like, you know, they want to know. So anyway, I read a bunch of stuff this week about it. Uh, I'm as convinced as the scholars are, which is not convinced. So, you know, one way or the other doesn't really matter. But the other book I'm reading is called Baptism, Christ, Act in the Church. Uh, just to refresh on baptism, because I'm doing a thing with a guy in my church who is, who has been a professor at a couple seminaries that uh, where we're going to have like a podcast discussion type thing as classes. And then the first session we're going to do is actually on that um, Catholic priest baptizing people with the wrong words. Remember that? Oh yeah. And uh, we actually had a lot, I had a lot of questions about that in my church. So we're going to do that. So it's been interesting to study again about baptism and the nature of it and what it is and the history and stuff. So that's been kind of fun. Well, as I mentioned, I'm reading the very exciting book from topic to thesis, writing sound theological papers. It's very exciting. I'm also going through uh, all of Tom Clancy's works while I'm on the exercise bike at the gym. So right now I am in against all enemies. It's very exciting. They're about to go kill some terrorists. And then I am okay. rereading Andy Stanley's Deep and Wide. Don't come at me. It's a good book. That's the one where he goes all out talking about his father and all that stuff that went down, right? Yep. Yep. Dumb, are you reading anything besides the Bible? <laughs> yeah, I'm reading Vody Balcom's Fault Lines right right now. Um getting his opinions on your, some your stuff. future your possible future president of the sbc bro i would be all in on that i joined founders ministries this past week on the thing so yeah uh so that i, I per recommendation of this group the church called tove is coming my yeah. way i've heard that's very good i heard that it will really uh challenge even me in ministry so i'm pretty I thought excited you were gonna about say that. that this group recommended fault lines and i most certainly did not <laughs> i know you didn't i i, I, I would read it, it though i would read it i would read I'm it i just haven't had time yet i feel like if you're gonna read jesus and john wayne you need to read fault lines to balance it out that's that's mm. kind of my two my I, two cents i i don't know if they're quite parallel books but For sure, just, different I, categories I, I but i understand why why yeah you see what i'm getting at yeah so um i, I will you know. say I will say, uh, I, 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 rec- I, again, I, you're the only Southern Baptist here. And I actually was thinking about bringing up the conversation about, uh, Vody, Vadi Bakum as, uh, the future, possible future president. Because, um, of the Southern Baptists that I've spoken to, you're actually the first one that got really excited about it. I'm, the, a lot of my friends who are Southern Baptists would be like, that's not the greatest thing. That's not the greatest idea. We don't have to yeah. have that conversation right now. Well, I will I, say this about Vody. My my one hesitation would be he does have some heart issues. And I think well, with all the, the keyboard activists out there, I don't think that would be healthy for him and his family. And he's really committed to starting and continuing his ministry work in Africa. And I just don't know if he'd have enough time for it 
But um, yeah, but that's a good conversation to have. And I think, yeah, a lot of people, it's interesting. A lot of people at SPC, they don't get excited because a lot of them, they really are mostly into the evangelical mainline people and not, I mean, Vody is, is not evangelical or mainline. I don't know if y'all know any. I mean, I just thought we, I thought you guys already had a president. And I don't know. Like, well, he, you guys, he's resigning. You guys, Did you hear? You didn't hear about yeah, all this? I heard. I heard that. Well, one thing. Listen, Ooh. one thing is for sure. You don't have to write sermons to be the president of the SBC. That's that's a fact. Well, well that's part of the reason we're about not to have one. All right. Well, sermon central, baby. I don't want to go into uh, slandering SBC stuff, but too late. Uh, this is hey, uh, uh, Andrew. I want to. I want to talk about something that you probably get excited about. Your boy's back. Did you smoke a cigar last night? Dude. Tom Brady is back. But who I didn't did not, see that coming, I, though? I yelled. I screamed. I celebrated. And then when I couldn't get my dad on the phone, who's a actual Buccaneers fan, I called Timothy Miller because I needed someone to celebrate with me. And he was like, oh, yeah, me and the family are on vacation. I'm like, what What in the world? You didn't tell us? Oh, hey, we're not. I'm not recording a podcast with you guys. By the way, Tim and I recorded another one on Monday mornings. That was the first time that I had any indication that uh, Tim was out of pocket for the day. So I just think we should <laughs> well, break up with him he once and for all. No, they're blacked out. Like, oh, I what thought maybe over? he was going to going to Disney with his family to make up for when he bailed on us going to Disney. But no. No, so different okay. passes, different level of annual passes have different days that are blacked out. And unless you have the $18 trillion passes, the oh, uh, week it's around spring break. Spring right break right Oh, yeah, so, true, true. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so his family's not at Disney. They're just over in Orlando. So having Disney passes is kind of like having a timeshare? Uh, kind of. I bit. think yeah. okay. the, passes, the passes that I have, I think there are 47 weeks during the year that I can okay. use them. So it's not quite That's, like a timeshare. So there are yeah. five weeks during the year that I don't get to cash in my passes. Well, I, I saw this article. We, we don't have to talk too much about it, but... Tom Brady's final touchdown ball sells for f- over $500,000 hours before he announced his return. Could, how mad would you be? That, that money's not coming out of that guy's – the money's not coming out of his account. Darren Ravel, who's the sports business reporter, used to be at ESPN. He did a, a story on it last night and basically was like, look, any auction won over the weekend, there's a wire transfer on Monday. So it was the perfect oh. scenario for the guy that bought the ball because – he won't have to do the wire transfer because um, he can claim fraud. So all is well. Oh. The guy's not having oh, yeah. to spend half a million dollars on a football. Wow. Wow. Man, well, nobody nobody who isn't watching this didn't just see the absolute terror that just happened for me. My mic happened. was muted, but a spider fell down out of the ceiling. I, I didn't desk. know what you were doing. I just thought you I were dancing panicked. or, or I thought you were moved by the something. Holy Spirit or something. Terror. Mm-hmm. One day we should talk about um, the kind of pest control all of our churches has to see what kind of like pests and menaces we have in our churches. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we've got squirrels and mice in our building sometimes. So, our, um, do you guys even know what stink bugs are? Oh gosh, yes, we have yeah. stink bugs. Of course, I, I don't remember that. I've never we seen had them. We in have them in Florida. We had them in Florida. Really? Yeah. I, I never. So. I literally never saw one until I moved up here, and they are a menace up here. Like they're just everywhere, and they're harmless. But they're just gross, dude. We get know. in this. It's probably about time now, but we get these like Pennsylvania crickets, they're like little tiny black crickets, and they get everywhere. But yeah. at least it's not a cicada apocalypse this summer again. That was yeah. terrible last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into our clergy cliff note. Hey, so Clergy Cliff Notes is where we take some of the stories that are running in the news that somewhat are tangentially related to pastors and people in ministry. And there's this article that I saw over at Christianity Today, and the headline caught my eye mainly because I saw it in the wild on YouTube. Uh, The headline says, a $100 million ad campaign aims to make Jesus the biggest brand in your city. And the article goes on to explain about there's this uh, group called HeGetsUs.com through private investors were able to raise up over $100 million to be able to do giant campaigns. A lot of YouTube, some billboards, things like that, uh, to get people to uh, their Bible reading plans. It's very much a Gen Z related thing, the way they're kind of characterizing it. Um, the videography is spectacular. Like it's really cool and captivating. When uh, I, I said this to the guys before we got on the show, when I saw the ad um, um, that's in the article on YouTube, I was immediately convinced that it was for the Mormons because the only time I've ever seen that kind of quality Christian esque marketing was through the Mormons because they've they've done some pretty good videos. So anyway, I have a quick clip from a different so there's a there's a minute long video that's in the article, but I have a 30 second clip um here that I want to play on the podcast um called Dinner Party. A caring man took a walk. He saw people suffering. Anxiety ran high. Hatred rose. I'll prepare a feast and bring them together, he thought. But some refused to join him. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. So all these ads um, end with the the words, he gets us, and the us kind of transitions into the word Jesus, and then there's a link to their website. So um, it's pretty interesting. Um, there, there is some sort of connections for people to join alpha groups in their community if they want to be a part of one, as well as connections to uh, Bible reading plans on the Version app, um, as well as there's chat, live text um, for prayer and what they call positive vibes, which is a very Gen Z thing. Um, so I, I guess my thought to you is this. I can't think immediately of a secular marketing campaign Except when, like, the, the only time I could think of something even remotely close to this was, I mean, Andrew and Jeff, you might remember this, like, 20 years ago, Luis Palau came to Tampa, and there were, like, tons of marketing for that. First of all, was that an old joke? That's hurtful. <laughs> it, it's old and since like it was like 20 years ago I, I think i'm I was, going to uh, assume it was a tampa joke i hope it was a ouch. tampa joke but yeah i'm pretty well, sure it was tampa uh, joke. okay Luis palau did um uh crusades all across the country but i just remember all of us lived in tampa the same time Luis palau did it I, I, maybe you guys don't remember i just remember chris tomlin um uh performed at it and that was the first time i saw chris tomlin but anyways uh have you guys ever like been like seen like any kind of viral marketing campaign that isn't just simply like uh 
an anti-abortion ad on the random highways and the, you know when you're on the interstate like what, what have you seen that's anything remotely close to this i mean we are coming up on the time of the year when churches start running easter ads i guess those are the first thing i think of that gets kind of close to this when you see the big church easter ads <laughs> that's true. but i, I really can't that, think of anything the, i think the chick-fil-a ads where they're sitting on the red couch with the white background that's kind of Christianese hundred million dollar oh. marketing campaign. But Rose, other than he that, is second videos. I was about to say I am second. I am the I am second videos, maybe. Wow, I really yeah. mispronounced that. He you is really, first people. I am watching that. Wow, we know where Jeff but is. She, and I was joking about Chick-fil-A, by the way, but I mean this that's a, probably about the similar budget to what's being spent on this. Yeah. You know, the, I like that it does not at least from what I was looking at, track back to like one entity saying we want to grow our entity, you know, like to me, Oh, there's something like clean in that, you know, I get it. Churches need to put out their Easter stuff, but like, it's really good to have like a, just Christians, you know what I'm saying? Like there's something creative and something artistic and something like just godly in it. And I, I don't know. I'm really attracted. Like I'm really attracted to that even as a millennial. And I think what Frank said in the Gen Z space, man, like having that, I mean, you think about it, Gen Z clothing, they don't even necessarily like to rock branded clothing, right? They'd rather have like a hoodie with no, no logo on it. I think it's the same with the gospel message. Like people are getting tired of being like, hear about Jesus. And then after you say this prayer, come to our church and we'll, you know, now it's like, okay, there's the brand of the church always closely follows the brand of Jesus. And I, I like the local church. I like that. It's like, after you get done talking about Jesus here, it's just like the universal church. I'd sit yourself to just clean about that. And I think what you hit on Frank is unique. It's like, this isn't something you see every day. And I think that's why you stopped. How many people stop on a YouTube ad video to watch the whole thing? I don't know yeah, many. I, I like purpose. Like I don't do this very often. I didn't skip it. Like I was, it was a minute long and I could have skipped it, but there was something pretty captivating about it. Um, maybe because I'm a pastor and I sensed there was something spiritual about this. Um, I don't know. I, I watched it and I was pretty captivated by it. The one question, um, you know, I like that it's fairly ecumenical. It's not, uh, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm on their website. He, he gets us.com and I'm, you know, it says it's not affiliated with any church or domination or even kind of like a political thing. Um, and they just want people to know who the real Jesus is. Now, obviously because it's ambiguous, it can't be, um, it can't be atheological. Like there's, there has to be some sort of like theology somewhere rooted in this. Um, but, but one thing I was thinking about, um, cause I did read in the Christianity Today article that the one piece of pushback was like, is this the best use of a hundred million dollars? Right? Like it's a hundred million dollar campaign towards advertising. Could a hundred million dollars be used towards Whatever my, philanthropy. My my thought was whatever. you could hire a thousand college next gen Gen Z pastors for fifty thousand dollars a year, give them a two year contract, and say, "Hey, there's a thousand different churches that can't afford a youth ministry or a next gen ministry." But at the same time, you read that article, and this group has donated three billion dollars to Christian philanthropic efforts. So yeah. it's a little bit of you know, who are you to? judge how could, your master is yeah. generous kind of thing could it have so been I, used for something else of course it could sure have, but yeah they but the decided to use whoever it for is running it yeah it's 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 not they're not taking money out of our offering plates to do this so right. we shouldn't be hypercritical but no my my first thought was to get out the calculator and be like all right how many 
how many $50,000 a year salaries could you pay if with that yeah. same money? And what, what would be the bigger impact? You know, I look at um, where my in-laws live in Arkansas. There's, there's a university there that I don't think many of the churches right around there have any type of on-campus ministry. Like, man, what would happen if you could get a few years of, you know, you don't have to write those support letters to your aunts and grandmas or whatever. What, what type of ministry could flourish if someone had some seed money to go and start on-campus ministries at a thousand different places? What would make a bigger impact? But, it, but then the thought was, but it's not, it's not my money. I'm not on the board deciding how to do this. And if you're playing with that kinds of money, that kind of money, there's obviously a board. There's some wise people involved that are saying, we think this is the best way to do it. So, hey, better you know, than you the, know the ads I usually get on YouTube. This is really convicting. So I just, I looked up, he gets us, and there's a, a really good Christianity Today write-up on it. And then there's a cover story to that that says Jesus is not a brand. And I I, I kind of get what they're saying in the sense of like, um, brands come and go, you know, and how so many times, like when we market, it's, it's just marketing. You're using Jesus to push the brand of your church, which is kind of what we were just saying. You know, I really like how this is pretty much saying, you know, he's not a brand. And for me as a pastor, this is convictional. Like, I think it's really important that we be prudent, what we're pushing out on social media, especially in regards to our church. Like how many times has our church sent out an untethered message of the gospel? You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, by the way, like, subscribe, and give here. Like, I think that's really important to have like these just little authentic pockets where it's like, hey, this is the real thing. I know this gets this. Sometimes it gets muddled in branding, but he's not a brand. He's he's life. I really like that. I I did a little bit more investigation while we were talking. I I, I did find that this is connected through an organization called the Servant Foundation which is an endowment through a church called the church of the servant, which is in Oklahoma. And, and uh, the only, I think the only denominational ties is um, the United Methodists, which is interesting. Um, but it just says that the, that um, a, a organization that does the charity work is the one that's kind of helping with the, the side of it. All that to say is this, it's kind of dope. Like I, I would encourage you go to uh, he gets us.com and, and if anything, just go to the YouTube channel and watch the videos. I actually could see the, the videos are pretty generic enough that they could be good bumper videos. Yeah. Or like, um, you or do illustrations on this. Oh, easily. And like, I, they're, and they're really well done and they're very now like the the actors they use and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's super, it's super sweet. There's even um, a uh, down at the very bottom. There's of their of hegetsus.com. There's a uh, link to a Bible.com seven day reading plan, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's well, hey, it's well thought you guys, out. I, I like the way. Can it's you guys well quit out. talking so I can sit my so I can submit my DYM resource on this real quick? It's taken me about, <laughs> it's taken me about thirteen <laughs> seconds to come up with it. So give me. Let me just hit submit, okay, and then we can get back to this. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, there you go. You guys can go to the uh, link in the show notes to see the Christianity Today article as well as um, the videos um, connected to this. Um, And when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into a conversation of conflict with uh, other staff. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Hey, we're back. And so one thing uh, we did at the Perfectly Pestering Conference is we took in a bunch of questions from everybody who attended. And we answered like – we probably received like over 40 questions. We answered like three of them on the podcast, the live podcast when we were there. And so um, we, we kind of want to go through some of those questions because those are some of the actual felt needs of some of our listeners as well as I asked a question in the Facebook group. Uh, what do you guys want us to talk about? <laughs> And, and and one thing that uh, translation both, we're out of ideas. <laughs> we got ideas. We just want to make sure we are talking about what you guys want to talk about, not just what is a campus pastor every week. So what we decided is to talk about a question that was brought up in both camps. What do you do when you have staff conflict? Um, so that looks like maybe you have conflict with a peer on your team, someone beneath you if you are a direct report, or someone above you who is your direct report, staff conflict. And so I guess I want to I begin with this question just kind of broadly when I, when I say how do you handle conflicts with other staff members, and we can throw in elders as well as um, deacons or even like high-level like, volunteers. Like team members, right? Like anybody team kind members, of on your yeah, team. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how have you handled those in the past? If you have, if you're willing to share a story or two, that's fine. But I want to broadly ask that question: How do you handle staff conflict? Jeff, you know the, what this other staff thing is they're talking about? No, but I'm just here for the ride. Was, all right, I just I figured that you and I would be very confused by that, but you know, I get it. I'm super confused. But, um, I I I do have other staff that works here. I just the only full-time person and it makes me sad when it's the middle of the afternoon and I'm all by myself. But I think hemming and hawing and stewing over, do I do something about this is the worst thing ever because we always seem to apply the worst intentions to other people without going to talk to them. And then most of the time, a awkward conversation can fix everything in about five minutes and if you aren't willing to have that awkward conversation, you wait about five months and you stew and you stew and it gets worse and it gets worse. And then there's a big blow up that could have been avoided if you just would have gone and had the awkward conversation. I found that like this is a kind of a principle, but there's so often I would say uh, maybe 75 to 80 percent of the time. The relationship you have with that person will actually be better after you go through that process of resolving the conflict and reconciling than it was before. Because you've kind of now walked, you've kind of stepped into another level of like relationship with that person where you kind of bend through this thing together. So that's just a principle to say, like, I agree with Andrew. I think when it's, if we're first talking about conflict between myself and another team member, I think for me, um, and I found this to be true also, I was talking about this with with, uh, somebody yesterday, that like when you're having difficult conversations, trying to be as direct as possible, not using sort of like fluffy language to talk around something, but like speaking the actual words, you know, in that moment, in a loving way, in a calm way, uh, as an older pastor once told me, in a dispassionate way. Like, just even keel, but this is the issue that I see. Do you see the same issue? And how can we move forward? And this kind of, like, this idea kind of comes from, like, when I do premarital counseling. It's like, I don't see the other person as the problem. 
I see the other person as a person. And then we have this problem or this issue that we're going to try to fix together. So if you can try and talk your way into understanding with that other person you're having conflict with, look, I don't view you as my enemy, but there's this conflict that we have. Let's put, let's take the conflict out and put it on the table and let's try to solve it together. And that might mean, um, you know, talking exactly about what you are, um, what you're offended at and, and what you're not offended at and how that other person and you misunderstood one another and all that. So I just think being direct is the biggest thing. Yep. I would say I a hundred percent that I think one of the things that's very important when it comes to conflict, acknowledging you're in conflict is the first and one of the most crucial steps. Cause when you get rubbed wrong or when you get frustrated, it's really easy just to allow myself to go to an emotional place first before I realize, Oh, I'm entering a space of conflict. And most of the times or I say a lot of times the conflict begins internally. Somebody says something, it's not necessarily um, an intentional thing, but it's good to take it. And sometimes I have to do this. I just write it down. I'm in, I'm frustrated and, and have certain keywords that help you understand you're in conflict. So if I tell myself, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, or this is stupid, or this is dumb, I'm realizing I'm in conflict. So the first thing to do is to realize that. Second place I immediately try to go is Matthew chapter 18, right? Like, cause that's church discipline, which I also, I always grew up thinking that was like, oh, how do we discipline? But this is about like, how do we even discipline ourselves, right? How do we even discipline? Like, how do we work through conflict? So the first thing as I go one-on-one, if that doesn't work, I will try to take a neutral party, which doesn't mean you take someone who already believes the way you do. Generally, I try to take um, there's there's an elder on my staff who's like extremely wise and he's really good at, at playing both sides. So I'll take him. And then if that doesn't work, it says you take it to your senior leadership there again. If your issue is with senior leadership, we can have that discussion in a second. But following Matthew chapter 18, I think is so critical because what it does is it keeps us from sinning. And like what I've noticed is conflict may not always end well. But adding sin to it definitely doesn't help, right? <laughs> so, like, I do that. And if you're in conflict, it's not a bad thing just to make it part of your daily prayer regimen. God, keep me from sinning. I know that sounds so, like, superficial. We talked about this at the conference. But it's like that is such a core thing to keep it from escalating. And then once you run it all the way to the end, if the conflict's still there, you have decisions to make about, you know, what do you do with this relationship? If you're employed there, what do you do with your employment? But if you take it as far as it can go, it's not resolved, but it's not detrimental. My almost life verse in this area is that Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends on you, try to live peaceably. So if I know if being in the presence of this person causes the tensions to go up, then like a respectful thing for me to do is to remove myself from a situation where I'm in the presence of this person. Not because I don't like them, but because I want to love them. And love is an action, right? It's not like a feeling. So sometimes loving somebody in conflict is removing yourself from it. It's not shunning. It's not, you know, turning it back. But to me, like, I try to keep it in the pocket of those two scriptures, knowing that there's other stuff as well. I know that I think it's in Titus. It says if someone stirs the pot and continues that you're just to walk away from them. You know, it's pretty blunt. So scripture, to your point about being blunt in conversations, scripture is blunt with us about how we're to handle that. So I try to handle it that way. One thing that I, I have seen 
somewhat defuse conflict, but also overwhelmingly helps the conflict is when, when you know, if you can restrain yourself and, and not get angry or whatever, when you know, someone has a conflict with you, as you guys said, be very straightforward, you know, be a matter of the fact, but like define what you believe they're angry about. So, so like when I'm in a conflict, I'll say something like, Oh, Jeff, help me understand this. What you're upset about is da, 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 da. And like, when you do that one, then you know that the conflict is you're on the same page as the conflict. And then two, if it is an irrational conflict, you, and you both agree what the conflict is, they can kind of see like, yes, you are correctly describing how I'm feeling or what I'm upset about. And then that's, for me, that's almost always been uh, a way to kind of diffuse, but also like help define the conversation. Because oftentimes when we're in conflict, I mean, bro, I've been in church long enough to know that a lot of conflicts in church is just a lot of like pettiness and like a lot of like passive aggression. And if you can, if you can articulate the other person's complaint, then that changes the conversation because at least now they've at least know that they've felt heard. And so when you respond to them, they know it's not coming from a place of bias or anger, but it's coming from a place of responding to their actual conflict. I would say, too, with that, like, you're right, because a lot of conflict in church is um, sort of people taking offense when none was given. Mm. And I think that's just a really important thing for you to be. If if we're talking about you as a pastor or as a leader having conflict with somebody in your either on your team or sort of in your downstream of, you know, your authority in the church, I think you really have to you really have to make the effort to be an example of what it looks like to resolve conflict. And I think a big part of that is just choosing not to take offense where none was given Um, because that's so easy to do. Like, well, what did they mean by that? Well, unless they told you what they meant by that and that they were meaning to be offensive to you, you can choose. And I'm not saying in the moment you might be mad in the moment, but you can choose. I think journaling is a great, you know, practice for some of us to do just writing those things down and going, am I being ridiculous here? But choosing to not take offense well, you don't need to take offense. Like you said, Dell. as much as it depends on you, live at peace. And I think a lot of that is just, I'm not going to be offended at something that's not offensive. I also think it's really helpful uh, if you've never read the book, but the, the, I think it's Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries. So much conversation in my church about that lately among myself and some leaders, just seeing just how much, you know, assumptions people make about expectations and boundaries not being there and you as the pastor being able to be an example of having those healthy boundaries to say, look, I hear what you're saying, but this is just not an issue that we're going to fight about or that we're going to create a huge conflict over when it's really pretty small. So I I think we're all kind of saying the same thing, you know, like speak directly, don't be a jerk. uh, Don't be angry at something you don't need to be angry about and just be an example of what it looks like to, to reconcile relationships. Yeah. As far as your um, boundaries, man, like I'll retweet that in the sense of like, how many times is the conflict? You don't even need to be in it. Like sometimes in the church, like other people's conflict, they want you to be in their conflict with them. You know, like it's so, and, and sometimes that comes through the form of, you know, the classic prayer requests. Sometimes it comes through, well, you're my pastor, so you're the only one I can talk to. How many times has that line been dropped? But it's like, no, you're really trying to get us to take sides right now. 
you know, so like having those boundaries is really clear. And then also, I think when someone comes to us with their conflict and you're getting the sense that they're wanting you to enter that conflict, like make them abide by the same scriptures you do say, well, listen, I'm going to give you till Tuesday to talk to them. You know, but I, but I've done that before. I've had people come to me complaining about others. And I was like, listen, this is really big. You got till Tuesday and then we have to go because if we don't, then what I've just participated in is gossip. And, and I refuse to, I'm, I can't participate in gossip, you know? So this is a really serious thing. And if you're wanting just to talk, you're like, that's a thing, but like you have to, what you have to have an action step. If there's no action step after this conversation, it's just gossip. And then when it gets back to the other person that, oh, they confided in with you about this and you didn't say anything or you didn't do anything. Now you're an accomplice in it, which by default makes it like you've chosen a side. Next thing you know, you are in conflict. I know so many pastors who entered conflict just by being passive. You know, just by like not saying anything. But I think one of the more healthier things we need to do is to help our people manage their own conflict well, because in the end, you only have more harmony. And here's the beautiful thing about conflict. This is the silver lining in this whole conversation. You know, this the one scripture where it says where two or three are gathered, I am with you. Like that's in relationship to conflict and and managing church conflict especially between our congregants can be quite beautiful because when you sense the unity in it, like, and you sense the little thread of like, there can be a common ground here, like pause right then and acknowledge that is the Holy spirit. Like I've done that with congregants before, like where they're mad at somebody. And then we talk through some stuff. They start to see a little bit of perspective. I'm like, you know what that was? That wasn't me. That wasn't you. That was the Holy spirit. You just experienced in real time working through your conflict and like lead them in that path to manage it. And it keeps them out and it keeps myself out of my own emotions. When you realize, you know, my real battle is not against another person. It's again, you know, that's just what scripture says. It's against the things that want us to tear us down. So like leaving margin to experience the work of the spirit through conflict resolution is massive. Andrew, what is the name of your admin? Uh, Her name is Glenn. G L Y N N Glenn. Okay, and and do you have any other admins at your church? Nope. Oh, you think about Shirley? Okay. Shirley, that's what I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Shirley's okay. our ministry facilitator. Okay. So Glenn, which is Shirley. a very fancy title to mean that uh, she she could and functions as an associate pastor, but doesn't want the title pastor because she's a girl let, and she's but let's, yeah. Let's look at Shirley for example. Let's say Shirley and Glenn get really annoyed because every Monday you have four hours in your office where you're talking to a screen, just talking into a camera, looking yeah, handsome. Talking, yeah. 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 And <laughs> they just think like, and they're just, and they're just like talking to each other. And they're just like, um, there's so much going on in the church. Why is he spending time doing these podcasts? Da, 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 da. Uh, you know, whatever, like they're they're festering that kind of like conflict within themselves. Which, by the way, I don't know if they listen to this podcast. They they don't they don't complain about that. But they don't. Let's say <laughs> let's say they did. Like, and let's say let's say Glenn was telling that to to um to what's her name again? I'm sorry, I forgot her name again. Shirley, Shirley right? Yeah. And Shirley didn't initiate the conversation, but she just listened to her. Right? Like the problem in all that is like. Sometimes we who are not in the number one seat can become the safe person for all the conflicts in the church 
where you're like, hey, can I just come to you to complain about the senior pastor? Or can I complain to you to the, about the elders? And, like, you feel like you're the safe person. And that builds, like, maybe some relational equity in your, in your, in your, in your staff. But you're actually creating, like, division unknowingly. And it's not healthy. And it's not good. And so oftentimes I want to I encourage you, if you're in that situation, if you feel like there's a constant groaning or complaining about a person who is in a chair that's above where you and your peer is or whatever, I would encourage you to say, hey, before we keep talking about this, like if you feel like these are genuine issues, maybe we can set up a lunch with them or something to talk about these concerns or issues because that's only going to fester and build resentment and and ultimately you're just going to be the office gossips about what is happening. And you might get yourself fired. And you might get yourself fired, right? Um, a big special term for that in the business world is insubordination, right? Like if you if you're, if you're just talking trash about your boss or your what was that? Did someone Delmar's, just break a window? No, Delmar is chewing tobacco and he spat into a tin bucket. <laughs> <laughs> no, my earpiece fell on the ground. Splatoon is what you're looking for. Yes, yeah, That yeah, was yeah, yeah. so loud. That was yeah. loud. <laughs> hey, so but Frank, guy. what you're talking about, uh, some might call that enabling. Right. Like, yeah, you're, yes. you're, that's that's a behavior where you're enabling sort of a really negative behavior from somebody else. And I've seen that even turn into like a weird codependency between, you know, a pastor and another staff member or, or a staff member and a lay person where it's like the lay person needs or sorry, the, the staff member or the pastor needs that affirmation from the congregation and they're getting it from this one person. But that person needs to have this outlet for their you know, their gossipy behavior. And so they create this enabling codependent relationship and they both get stuck in this place. And so now what, what often happens is eventually that's going to come out and somebody's going to betray somebody to save face. And it's going to go bad for one or both of them, probably the staff member, because there's, there's not much you can do with a, you know, just a, a person in the church. I mean, you can't fire somebody from church. That's why I said what I said about not just being a passive listener, because especially when that happens on staff, let's take this out of congregate, like what Frank just said in staff, what that does is it creates a us versus them language. And I'm telling you, if you're ever on the receiving end of a us versus them language with your senior pastor, um, you're going to, your title will be called past tense because you can't, you don't have the right or the authority to create uh, a coup against the senior leadership, you know? So, and sometimes just passive listening creates that. And I mean, even as I know we have other campus pastors who listen, I'll be honest, that's one of your, your number one roles sometimes is to dispel the us versus them stuff, you know, where people come up to you and talk to you and, you know, and even, even student pastors, right? Cause you, a student pastor preach like Associate what, four pastor. times. Yeah. Anybody Worship. who gets to pulpit, like every other you know, listen, if all you ever drink is water and someday somebody comes up and gives you a Sprite, you're going to like the Sprite just because it's different. And how many times do you preach and they're like, oh, man, we like that. You really brought it. I wish our other guy, blah, blah, blah. That's when you need to you need in your heart to not, first of all, let that settle. Right. And then second of all, you need to have a response. Like I know for me, um, some people compliment me. I say, well, hey, I have good leadership. You know, it's a it's a simple way to 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 make sure that you're not festering that us versus them. Because if you say, "Oh well, thank you," 
I really appreciate that. You know, I can't wait till I get up there again. Well, now you've just fed something in them, even if it was accidental. So you got to make sure anytime you get a compliment, um, if you're going to pull the we in there, pull the we of pull your church leadership into it as well. I think too, like, just be sure that if they're doing that with you, they'll do it to you. Yes. You know, if, if that crazy dream scenario in your head happened and like they fired the senior guy and I become the senior pastor, it might be five years, it might be 10 years, but it's going to happen to you. And you're going to bring in the next guy and he's going to preach and they're going to go to him and say, if you were preaching every week. So you just don't want to perpetuate that. Um, and I think that can be especially true. Like if you go into a situation where you get hired on as a youth pastor, an associate pastor, and you're the new guy and they hear you preach for the first time, it's going to be like you said, Dell. you're going to be the new, you know, the new flavor of the week. And you're going to get all kinds of compliments because church people are nice and you're going to like that. And then, you know, five years down the road, if you don't figure out a way to deal with that, you're going to start to believe your own press, too. And you're going to start to believe, well, if I if I was in charge, then I would do this. And the likelihood is even in the healthiest situation, we've talked about this before, you might only know 80 percent of the information and there's stuff you don't know about that. Maybe your senior pastor is not telling you because he can't tell you or he's protecting you or something that if you knew all the information, you probably wouldn't believe the people who are telling you that nice stuff to your face. I want to throw one other scenario in there. Uh, It just so happens that last night my wife and I were talking, kind of having a a retrospective look back at just how God had brought us through and to some things. And one of the things that we were talking about was um, a season in a previous church where the leadership, and it wasn't the senior pastor, but some of the elders, um, it, it was just bad. It was unhealthy and it, uh, it, and it got messy. And one of the things that we were saying was, you know, it's, and we were, we were just talking about some decisions that we have coming up. And it was, you know, when you're in situations where things potentially can get messy and things potentially could get ugly, it's important to remember why you're there. And sometimes, you know, if you work at Lowe's, and your manager is a jerk, well, go work at Home Depot. You know, like that's fine. But in ministry, there are times that you want to pull the ripcord and just walk away. And God's spirit is saying, no, 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 this is the season that I have you in this place. There's a purpose for this. And I know that it's messy right now, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. And I think sometimes it's important to just remember why you are called to the place that you were called to and to remember what God is doing there. And sometimes, the easiest way to deal with conflict is to acknowledge the conflict. We're like, Hey, this person and I, we're probably not going to like each other anytime soon, but whether or not we like each other does not diminish what God has called me to do here. And so for the sake of what God has called me to do, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to deal with whatever issue might be on the table because what God has called me to do is more important than my ego or more important than me being right. And so I'm going to be faithful to what I was called to do. And if that means I've got to deal with a jerk specific elder at Faith Church, you know who I'm talking to. What up, buddy? Um, you know, that's fine. Sometimes God is using that jerk to mold you and shape you into the image of Jesus because Jesus had to deal with a lot of jerks too. Andrew, that is really good. Yes, like you are not called to like every single person. Like to me, like so much of our tension comes in because I feel like, oh, I'm required by the gospel to like this person. But that's just factually not true, right? Like some some people, 
God places in your life, not for you to like, but to grow your character. And like when you uh, when you realize that maybe maybe God's put this person in your life because whatever the tension comes out of that person, your sanctification is attached to it. Right. So but whenever we're fighting the wrong battle, oh, I got to figure out what their hobbies are and like them or I have to keep entering this weird tension so we can like each other. You you never really get the point that sometimes you have to minister alongside people who are just different than you. And like, it's really okay to put someone in that box. They're different than you. And I'll actually go ahead and say this. That's probably a key to longevity in a ministry. Whenever you realize you can work with people who are just different than you, and and maybe their role in your life is to provide you for some sanctification. And truth be told, that's probably your role in their life too. Mm. Well, I think there's there's not much else to be added to this. Uh, uh, if you have uh, a question that you want to hear on the podcast, go to our uh, – we have a voicemail that's set up that you can go in and drop us a voicemail and let us know through your phone or, or, or whatever device that you can record. Uh, you can leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the show. Uh, you can join our mailing list, uh, and, uh, and and there you can get uh, periodic emails or possibly even some giveaways. You'll also be the first to know when the the conference is going to happen next year, and and uh, get the the cheapest prices for that conference uh, when that comes up. Um, but for all things practically pastoring, our social networks where to listen to us, all that stuff, go to practicallypastoring.com. With that being said, Tim, we miss you. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. Yo soy Andres. That's what I had to say in high school Spanish. My name (laughs) was Andres. All right, Andres. We'll see you next time. Bye. (laughs) Ciao. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.